Hello and welcome to another episode of Priority Status by J Public Relations. I'm Georgia Richardson and today I'm here with Noel Mack, Chief Brand Officer of Gymshark. On today's podcast, we're discussing all about the Gymshark audience, how the company approaches its communications and how Noel and the team work endlessly to keep their ear to the ground and listen to their customers. We dive deep into the company's approach to diversity, inclusion and mental health, looking how this runs right through to the company's culture. And we get to hear about some of the incredible initiatives that Gymshark implement to support this core value of theirs. Noel gives his advice on how brands can own their story and also his own view to why he jumped on the Gymshark rocket ship. Many listening to this podcast will be familiar with the Gymshark story, but for those who are not, the brand began 10 years ago in a small British town called Bromsgrove. Ben Francis, the founder of Gymshark, was a Pizza Hut delivery boy and studying at university when he saw a gap in the market for a gymwear brand for the conditioning community. He began hand-stitching his own gym wear from his parents' garage, printing on the logo and selling online. Ten years on, the company has taken the fitness and e-commerce world by storm, with last year seeing the company gain unicorn status by being valued at over $1.3 billion. With offices in the UK, USA, Mauritius and Hong Kong, Gymshark employs over 650 people worldwide and continues to push the boundaries in all that they do. From their non-traditional approach to communications and marketing, launching a world-class fitness facility for their staff, the Gymshark Lifting Club, and creating an unrivaled community of fans, the fitness and retail industry has certainly been shaken up by their entry. Personally, having grown up near the town where Gymshark began, I have always been a huge fan of the brand, so I'm incredibly excited to be introducing to the podcast today, Noel Mack. So Noel, thanks so much for coming on to um, J Public Relations podcast today. Really excited to hear about Gymshark, yourself mm-hmm. um, and everything about the brand. So, yeah, thanks for having me, it's an honour. No problem. So I just want to hear a bit about you, your career path, your background and ultimately how you ended up at Gymshark. Um, it's a bit of a turbulent one. It's not like the usual story. I was a music kid, like I was playing at open mic nights and doing the music thing and instruments and whatever else. And my like my goal was to be a session musician, right? I wanted to be the person standing behind Shakira, Jay-Z, anyone, right? Playing the guitar or drum. I was I could play a few instruments, so I was down for anything really. Then when uh, music software and stuff like that became cheaper and it was easy to rather than having to go to a studio you could record yourself I got really passionate about the production side of music so I started making music on you know on the laptop and stuff um, and I pursued that for a long time went to went to London just because in my head that's where everybody went to do music right I was 18 and I was broke and I had no money and I was like you know staying in some awful little room in like South London um, and that sort of was going okay and it, it sort of it peaked when I had the chat freak accident, but one thing led to another. She knew him and knew him and knew him. And I ended up in a room with Drake and me and him. Wow. Yes, and me and him worked on a track together, uh, which was originally it was going to be a Rick Ross track. It later, after, in fact, after my involvement, it became a French Montana track, which Drake, Lil Wayne and um, Rick Ross featured on. And me and Drake worked on his part of it and did some 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 stuff with the beat and whatever else. Um, so I got to do that, which was an amazing experience. And that went like platinum, did really, really well. And that was my first little taste of actually doing something quite sort of uh, out there in the world, something quite cool that was quite successful and whatever. And then sort of, while I was doing that, 
it occurred to me that a lot of the musicianship I saw, I knew amazing musicians in London who weren't anywhere, and I knew bang average musicians who were doing really well. And the difference was how well they could tell their story, what their personal brand was like, and how they use marketing. And then I got obsessed with the idea, because I was thinking, I can either be an amazing producer, musician, and everything else, and never really do anything with my life and have any success, or I can figure out this marketing side yeah. of it, and um, and then sort of use that to my advantage to further my sort of career in music. So I got obsessed with how the music industry deal with marketing because I think that I think the music industry are amazing at it. So I started doing that. Then, thanks to some of the proceeds from the Drake stuff, I started an agency, basically selling that style of marketing to clients. So came back to Birmingham, where I'm from. Um, Opened an office in opened an office in Digbeth, which is like our equivalent of Shoreditch. Also had one in Harborn, and we were we were working with clients on sort of taking really non sexy brands and applying some sort of music industry sexiness to them to try and you know help them with um, content and stuff like that. And this was in the days where people didn't really realise how pivotal content was going to be. I was meeting clients and trying to convince them. Honestly, you should look closer at this thing, social media. It's going to be big, right? And honestly, you should content is a big thing. Like, you're going to need more of this. Now, they thought I was just trying to sell them my products right, and my services, but I wasn't. I was truly thinking that. And then um, one day I get a DM on Instagram from these guys, this fitness brand, which I do nothing about, and they'd seen some of my work that I'd done for some other brands. I can't even remember what it was. That We were doing some stuff for like Ministry of Sound and I think Gumball 3000 around then as well. Some like some really cool stuff. And they'd seen that and reached out to me and asked if we could have a chat. Now, I went on their Instagram page, this fitness brand, and I saw all these American influencers and I thought, okay, it's a US brand. So what, next time... What year was this? Probably uh, for Gymshark. Uh, 2013, 2014. Yeah. So like year one or two, basically. Yeah. So um, I saw all these American influencers on their page and again, I'd been working in the States at the time, so I assumed they'd seen some of that work. So I said, yeah, sure, next time I'm in the country, we'll hang out. Didn't realise that they were in the UK, right? So they replied, uh, the girl who was DMing me said, yeah, sure. I think she thought I was American because she's seen the work I was doing out there. Anyway, long winding story where she thinks I'm in America, I think they're in America. And then we both realise that we're both in the UK. And then I say, hang on, whereabouts are you in the UK? And they're like, oh, just outside of Birmingham. And I was like, I'm just outside of Birmingham. And we realised I was like five miles down the road, right? Really what weird. What a connection. I know, yeah. So then come down, meet Jim Shark, doing some client work with them. Did some early work. Um, the first bit actually didn't go very well. Like it wasn't it wasn't what the guys were looking for. Um, but they liked the sort of style of what we were doing. So then they asked for some other stuff, which did do really well. And then this just kind of you know client and agency relationship developed. And then there was there was like um there was a period in time where Ben started uh, Ben Francis, the founder of Gymshark, started doing this thing that we sort of called Avengers Assemble, where we went around getting people who had skills in different areas and sort of bringing them in. And he said to me, "Why don't you bring what you do, like the agency stuff you do, in house, and we'll build this thing in house at Gymshark?" Um, and I said no for like a year because I was super happy doing what I was doing. But then this brand just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it kept taking off. And I read a quote by Sheryl Sandberg, right? Who's uh, obviously yeah Mark Zuckerberg's um, right hand woman. Um, and she said this thing about her decision to join Facebook and she said it got to the point where I said to myself I don't care what seat I don't care what seat I have on the rocket ship I just need to be on it when it's taking off yeah. and I thought oh man am I about to miss the rocket ship taking <laughs> off so I wound up what I was doing my business partner carried on doing the agency and I uh, came on board as Gymshark originally as creative director and then became brand director and we built the brand team out a little bit further and then eventually chief brand officer so that's what I'm doing today so really pivotal moment for you was mm -hmm. choosing to get on the rocket ship yep. ultimately yep. and what was it about Gymshark because it was before it was the brand that it is now with you know hundreds of people working for it and uh, the brand story that we all know what was it about the brand that made you think I have to go and do this 
Well, they got it. They got the the all the clients I was working for. I was saying to them, oh, you should you should get into the social media thing. You should get into content. You should get into this. You should get into that. It was the first company I worked for where they already had that understanding, and I was like, oh wow, this is weird. Like these guys get it. I don't have to sell them anything. That their primary concern is let's just make some noise and make some really cool shit, right? And that level of like autonomy and trust that they were given, like previously with clients, I spent most of my time. 80% of the time I worked with them, telling them why something was a good idea and trying to drag the horse to water. With Gymshark, the horse was already at the water and it was drinking. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. then it was, I could spend 100% of my time just trying to make the best work. Which they was, trusted you. Yeah, yeah, which was really, really liberating when you're sort of like a frustra uh, frustrated agency creative slash marketeer or whatever you want to call it. Um, on top of that, just fucking good people. Like everybody I met around the business was just, they were just nice humans. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the kind of people um, you, you just, trust and you would just go for a beer with and all that kind of stuff and then I'd, I'd, I'd been out at events with Ben and whatever else in the very early days and even the consumers and the fans of the brand again were just good people do you know what I mean they spread a great message the values were cool it was about health it was about betterment and I just thought man this this, this is going somewhere and I can I can get on board now and, and, and say that I had a part in that yeah. story it's incredible amazing that you had that connection with them early on um, so I wanted to kind of kick off with a bit of a story mm -hmm. so Oh God, I this yeah, this is exciting. I worked at a Gymshark pop up once, right. twenty eighteen. You were there. Really? We didn't know each other. Um, I worked on the door, right. letting people in. You were and a bouncer. I was about. I'm big enough to be <laughs> you a do bouncer. Love bouncer vibes. <laughs> so I worked on the door, just letting people in and out. And I was talking to all these people that were coming through. I mean, mm. I love to chat with people anyway. So I was finding out their story, why they were there, and. I couldn't believe that people were waiting. I think I spoke to one girl who waited six hours in the mm -hmm. queue. But most people were three hours plus. Mm -hmm. Some people had brought their moms with them to wait in the queue because they were too young to go on I their see. own. And I was thinking to myself, right, there's nothing for free in here. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was a nice pop-up, but it, was, it, it wasn't what you do now. Um, there was, apart from a couple of athletes, and there was no product that you couldn't get online later that day. I was trying to think to myself, what what brand would I wait in a queue for, for basically nothing new? You're not getting a new product, yeah. anything. I couldn't personally think of anything, but I know that people do it for the likes of Apple, um, you know, trainer brands. Mm -hmm. So what is it about Gymshark that you think has kind of brought that, that obsession, that brand affinity? You've got this almost cult-like, I don't want to call it, you know, cult, yeah, yeah, no, but yeah. cult-like um, audience do you think it's the product that they love or do you think it's the messaging, what you stand for, or both? Was that the London store you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, Covent Garden. So that was a really interesting one that day and I'll tell you why. Do you remember how we opened it? We had all the balloons in the window yes, and we sort of cut the balloons yeah. down. At all the previous pop-up stores, as soon as the doors open, everyone floods into their favourite influencers or athletes, right? Mm -hmm. That was the first time I watched... We had the product on the left and we had all the influencers on the right, if you remember, and everybody flooded to the product first, wow. bought it, checked out, and then went and hung out with Whitney Simmons or Steve Cook or David Laid or whoever it was. And I remember thinking, wow, that's different. But sometimes you do see cultural nuances as well, mm -hmm. like where in different countries they act differently to different things. Um, going back to why would they hang out? I've also I've also sat and quizzed myself with that question, who would I queue up to meet, right? And I was thinking, would I do it with Kanye? No, probably not. And I was sort of... Elon Musk, maybe, right? But uh, I don't know. So I've, I've, I've been there with you and I've asked myself the same question. The difference with the trainer brands, I think 
though a lot of those guys are resellers as well, I remember. So they're there to make a profit. They don't actually care about the shoe, right? Mm. I think we have like a fandom, like Apple does, where they just want to be the first person with the product. They just want to be there, a part of that moment in history. And I think it's because two things. I think the intrinsic value you get from Gymshark is in the community. So like you say, you hang out in the queue and the girl in front of you and the girl behind you who you've never met, have, they probably watch the same YouTubers. They yeah. probably also track their proteins, fats and carbs, right? They probably run into the same problems you do and oh, how are you working on your delts and so on and so forth. So there's like a there's a, there's a real community vibe when yeah. you get there. And I've seen people turn up on their own before and make friends for life in that queue, right? Well, I say for life, the brand's only been going for seven or eight years. But I've seen them meet at pop-up stores and three years later, they're meeting back at pop-up stores as like, as old friends kind of thing. So I think it's a community thing. I think also the story of the business, right? And Ben's story is a huge part of this. And to say... I was there during that. It's like, you know when hipsters want to be the first to know about a band or an artist? Oh, I was listening to that way before everybody else was listening to it. I think there's a little bit of that in there as well. I think people are just invested. I think it's the same reason we have such like evangelist staff as well. If you look on LinkedIn, anybody who works at Gymshark is so fucking proud to work at Gymshark. And they've got to do the photo at the front. Anytime something good happens, everybody wants to talk about it. And I think it all comes back to this shared story that everybody's buying into, right? Everybody loves the pizza boy who couldn't find the vest and, you know, went on to make what he wanted and now it's his community Everyone thing. feels a part of himself in Ben, exactly. you know, yeah, an yeah. idea that they've got, maybe they're working, a, you know, a job. Mm-hmm. They, I think they feel that. They feel... And the um, area that Ben's from, to, this is, to your point, Bromsgrove, um, there was a stat came out, it was 2019 or 2018, the most limited companies, this was a stat from HMRC, that were started in any region in the UK was in Bromsgrove, the town of Bromsgrove. And... I don't know this, but I have to put that down to the fact that so many people saw a local kid do it and went, damn, mm-hmm. someone from around here did that. Yeah. I could do that and started their own thing. There's uh, there's, there's watch brands that have popped up around here. There's My Bandy's Dress, if you remember those guys. There's lounge underwear. They're all, f- you know, within the vicinity of the Gymshark story, like very, very close vicinity. In fact, lounge are right behind this building yeah. right now. Contagious. Yeah, yeah. And that, like you said, I think people see themselves in that underdog story that Ben has a little bit. You know, it's like the hero's journey. It's like a classic archetype in any sort of film, book, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think buying into the story, I think the community when they get there, and I think I think we just have a really fierce understanding of what they want. So uh, the LA pop-up store with Whitney, like, it was so well thought out. Like, the guys did, again, these, these, these little moments, right? Like, the girls built Whitney's original bedroom inside the store, like, as a set, so people could go and hang out in it because they knew so many of those fans queuing up that day had been with her on YouTube since those days using the bedroom at mom and dad's house, right? So for them to be able to, like, hang out in that wasn't the actual room, but you know what I mean? They had a favourite makeup brands there and, like, competitions and stuff like that. You could meet the athletes, you could do all the rest of it. And I remember, I remember standing in the room looking around and feeling like... This isn't just a mismatch of different PR activations or photo opportunities. This is like the Whitney Simmons ecosystem that the guys have built. Right, that's not my work. That's my team's work, and they're amazing at what they do. But they've built this like Whitney Simmons ecosystem that tugs on the heartstrings of all these guys, and it just shows how much they understand them. So yeah, I think connection to connection to Ben's story, the underdog story, the community vibe when they get there, and just our understanding of them and what we what we sort of offer them as a value proposition when they do come to the stores. I think all culminates in like you said, six to eight hour queues. Yeah, it was a long queue. And we're so proud, by the way. Yeah, well, I I hope so. And we're so proud of the fact that people do turn up and do something like that because we're in a a world now where ask any any social media manager who's making content for a brand's Instagram profile, they don't want to make anything over 10 seconds because people's attention span is so short, right? You move through the feed at a crazy speed. You move through Instagram stories 50% faster than you move through the feed. So when we're in such a fast-paced, transactional 
tiny attention span world now. The fact that somebody will stand online for six hours and wait to come into a Gymshark store, we're so, so proud of that fact. And yeah, we, we do all we can to try and make those those cues and those lines as, as enjoyable and as, as stomachable as we sort of can. But yeah, sometimes the supply just uh, just doesn't meet your, doesn't match up with the demand. Because yeah. this community that's been built um, ha- has been kind of nurtured right from the start, mm-hmm. right from the days of... When YouTube used to be filmed on phones, mm-hmm. I mean, I used to watch the YouTube videos of Nikki Blackletter when she used to do it on her phone. So it's grown so much. And Old school. I, I've heard you say before, and this is going back to your community, um, I'm not a good marketer. I'm marketer. I'm just a good listener. Mm-hmm. So how much do you listen to your audiences and, and how much does that feed into your brand strategy? Is that how you work on your brand strategy or... Does it come from your creative ideas and you see if the audience likes it? I'm a, I'm a proper creepy internet stalker, like big time. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that. 100%. <laughs> so like my, my morning ritual, first first app I open in the morning is Twitter and I search the word Gymshark, right? Not at Gymshark, just Gymshark, because if it's at Gymshark, they're including us in the conversation. So it's like, you know, the old thing of, the old saying of, it's not what people say about you when you're in the room that's important, it's what they say about when you're not in the room. But when they're just saying the word Gymshark without atting us, that's them talking about us, but not including us in the conversation. Right? So we're not in the room kind of thing. And I want to see the insults, I want to see why people hate us and or why they, you know, love us and whatever else. So I'll just search the word Gymshark without the at and just scroll through every single tweet until I get to generally the one I've got to yesterday, do you know what I mean? So I'm never miss a tweet. So I do that most mornings. Um, we have a we have a page called um, Gymshark Community on Facebook, which is full of our like one percent fans, like the people who are really really invested in the brand, and they wouldn't know. But I crawl through every single comment. So do they get invited to that platform? They can join it themselves, they and, they, and the, a moderator kind of accepts them. Um, but that's like the really really invested fans who like you know Gymshark tattoos and stuff like that. Wow. Um, but like every single comment, I'm in there digging in, seeing what they're up to and seeing what they're saying and what are they complaining about and whatever else. Um, Because I feel like it's just such a great barometer. And when, when, when... Sally from Little Rock, Arkansas comments saying that her her leggings ripped up the back on her first wear or whatever else. She probably thinks she's just leaving an arbitrary sort of comment. She doesn't realise that I'm all over that that morning and I'm yeah. running around the office screaming about Sally from Arkansas <laughs> and why her leggings are ripped. But it's it's really weird, right? It feels like I feel like I only do half of my job. I feel like some sort of clairvoyant. Like most of the most of the insights or decisions we make at Gymshark I'm just listening and responding to what they want do you know what I mean it never really feels like you're going out on a limb when you make marketing decisions at Gymshark because it's always informed by the community and what they want and what they've told us in the past so it's not like you're sort of coming up with some out there wacky idea crossing your fingers and oh I really hope this is going to work do you know what I mean it's like well they've, they've been They've been screaming. They want this from us. But for your six ears months. to the ground, and that that informs your decisions. Yeah, hundred percent. And and like, if my ears to the ground, God, some of the guys in my team are even worse than me. I mean, they're literally on the minute, on the hour, uh, understanding what's happening in the comments and whatever else. I think more marketeers, more insight people should hang out in Instagram, Facebook, YouTube comments because I think there yeah. is real gold and insights in there. But yeah, that's a big, huge part of the job that I do. Just listening. And just going to touch on diversity inclusion here and mm-hmm. how was it your customers who were requesting this because over the past two years I mean personally I've seen the shift in in the athletes you're using mm-hmm. and the things you're putting on Instagram and and just to kind of contextualize this I had a lot of friends who wouldn't wear Gymshark originally because mm-hmm. they thought it was you've got to be counting your macros yeah, you've yeah. got to be posing in Elitist. the mirror yeah. 
And now they all have Gymshark. Mm -hmm. And that comes down to what's coming out on social media mm-hmm. and, and what people are talking about. So it's worked. The shift has worked. But how much of that was from, from what your customers were saying to you? Yeah, a lot of it. I think so. Going, talking from like a diversity and inclusion standpoint, I'm embarrassed to admit that we were guilty of, especially when it came to influencers, looking in the same old places for the same old things, right, in terms of what worked. Um, I think last year everybody woke up to what a real, real issue this was. And I say everybody, I mean like some of the biggest brands in the industry. Mm. And like I said, I'm genuinely, I want to say ashamed or I feel in some way guilty that it took such a horrendous moment in uh, such a horrendous year to, to open our eyes to such an important topic. But the one thing I'm very proud to say is it wasn't just a moment for us where if I was a consumer, I'd be very much looking out for this, where brands jumped on the back of the diversity and inclusion topic because it was a hashtag at the time. Do you know what I mean? The stuff that we've been doing um, in the past 18 months, not only has it, not only have we maintained it, it's grown exponentially month on month. We've made commitments to causes, we've changed practices, we've done things, and we had a clubhouse, it's Black History Month right now in the US, right? We had a clubhouse uh conversation hosted by Jim Shark last week and the topic was what can what can fitness brands do to better support the black community now there was loads of great feedback in that session right some people sort of called us out on some stuff which was really really valid some people came on to applaud us for some of the work we've been doing one girl called Annie who's a team GB sprinter came on and she was she was kind of like hi guys she was like, I don't have much to say she was like but I just wanted to applaud you guys for the work you've done with Daniel Bramble who was a team GB long jumper that we uh basically donated some money to last year when he, his funding got cut because of COVID. Um, she was like, so many brands have dropped us and have just, you know, not really cared about the welfare of Team GB. She was like, but the reputation for Gymshark in our community now is absolutely enormous and we're all dying to work with Gymshark. She was like, so big shout out to you guys, you're doing everything right kind of thing. And honestly, I was on Clubhouse and I was moderating and there was a moment where I had like genuine tears in my eyes and I've got Senai who's our VP of brand in the US listening in texting me going amazing 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 I had other people from the Gymshark staff all texting me going oh my god love Annie love Annie love Annie so you're getting all this sort of positive feedback and again these are arbitrary decisions you took across the year but when you hear that in communities people are genuinely perceiving it for what it is it's not it, it wasn't an attempt to you know pander to anybody it wasn't a it wasn't a social justice warrior thing it was just the right fucking thing to do and you hear that it's being received that way and the and it's how it's affecting their perception of Gymshark like nothing nothing can make you prouder than that do you know what I mean when yeah. you're when you sit in the kind of seat that I do or you try and do some of the work that me and some of the, the my sort of right hand men and women do at Gymshark and yeah super proud moments so it's um I've gone. I've, I've I've got so emotional invested in this topic. I completely forgot what the original question was. <laughs> no, no, we're we're on the right track. So, I think what you're saying here is about being authentic, and mm-hmm. I think that couldn't be more true. And I think um, that's how every brand wants to come across. And I, that that's more than just what you're putting out in your communications and your and your brand. And I think it runs deeper to what's going on within the company. And mm-hmm. You know, I've heard some things that Gymshark have done and, you know, I've spoken to you before and a couple of other people here and it's it's a really intrinsic part of the Gymshark culture. Um, you know, I've heard some incredible stories. How, do you feel that it all stems from kind of Gymshark's company culture and how diversity and inclusion is an important part of that? Yeah, I think people think of, like, 
people hear my job title, a chief brand officer and brand marketing, and they think that brand and advertising is kind of the same thing, but it's not. Like brand is brand is the 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 sum total of every organizational thing that you do, right? So there's people saw the story on LinkedIn about um Lucas, one of our employees, who was a right above the knee amputee, and we we gave him the, the money to go and um have his um prosthetic leg made and stuff like that. Now again, these aren't things we would talk about or shout about because it's just, I don't know, just feels a bit crass to do so. Um but little things like that, little things like the Daniel Bramble thing, little things like Okay, I'll let this I'll give you an exclusive, right? Just for this podcast, which we never <laughs> normally talk about. Obviously, there's there's certain metrics and certain things you have to do to be to be considered for sort of like Gymshark athlete status. Now, there's a whole bunch of BAME talent out there who we think are great and are on the right lines, but don't aren't quite there yet in terms of numbers. So some of our athlete team actually work with them in the background, even though they have nothing to do with Gymshark, they're not promoting Gymshark, just on content plans, advice, stuff like that, right? Now, nobody would know that Gymshark is secretly sort of working with them in the background, but it's just... One of the guys in the in the influence team one day came and said, I'd really like to do this. I, I, I feel passionate about helping these guys. And we said, yeah, sure, do it. So obviously he was kind of coming at it from a, can I use my work time and the expertise I understand from this place to help out some people who aren't Gymshark athletes. But morally, that fits in perfectly with our values at Gymshark. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, although there's no direct, tangible profit from it, no return on investment, anything like that directly, maybe one day one of those 15 individuals will become a Gymshark athlete and then it'll pay off, right? If it doesn't, maybe they'll tell their friends about it and they'll go, oh, good on those guys at Gymshark. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, even as I said that then, I thought I shouldn't talk about this on the podcast because that makes it so much less no, cool. I, no, I don't. I think it ultimately comes back to the whole point of being authentic. Maybe mm-hmm. what you do in the background is more important than what you're putting out there. 100%. Because that, that's what makes uh, a brand authentic and um, I think that's what makes Gymshark more authentic. And going back to company culture and 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 how um, Gymshark approached that, there's been probably over the past, I'd say, you know, more than me, two years, three years at Gymshark, um, talking about mental health mm-hmm. on your social platforms, which I know now has become um, parallel to you know fitness, but mm-hmm. it didn't used to be. How's that journey been for Gymshark, and why has it been so important for you to talk about? Uh, that area, mental health? I think, to be honest, a bit like I mentioned earlier, because if it's important to our community, then it's important to us, right? So the second our community started mentioning the word mental health, we said, oh, they want us to talk about that. Now, previously, it was almost like, while we knew mental health was important, and we've always believed that mental health and physical health are intrinsically linked, we almost thought, do we have a right to talk about mental health? Do they want us to talk about mental health? But the second the community started asking about it, we're like, okay, cool, let's do it then. Let's turn up. And we, we created a sub-brand called Deload. And it's it's born out of bodybuilding, right? So anybody who's into bodybuilding will know that your deload week is where you still go to the gym, but you take a lot of the weight off, right? So the idea of deload was take a little weight off mental health, right? So that was our sort of sub-brand. And we put everything mental health related that we do under the deload brand. So for anybody who's listening, head over to Gymshark's Instagram page on our story highlights, you'll see one called deload and you can find everything we've done under the sort of mental health umbrella. But the second it became important to our community, then it became important to us. So then we started acting on it basically. And we've always found like one of our influencers, Karina L, right? She's this like Amazonian woman. Like she's she's like she's incredible. She's, incri- she's yeah. so intimidating to other women when she walks in. There's the heads turn wherever she goes, right? Like she's a she's like a picture of health. I remember when I was first hanging out with her in like Venice, Los Angeles. And her saying to me, like, I'm not asking her about why she's so obsessed with training. She was like, to be honest, she's like, I never look in the mirror and think, oh, I need to work on my ex, whether it's delts or abs or anything like that. She was like, I do this because of the way it makes me feel and the way it sort of takes stress away. 
all the muscle and definition all that's kind of like a happy byproduct do you know what I mean yeah. and I remember thinking wow that's that's deep that's like deeper than I expected to hear from like a you know a quote unquote fitness influencer mm-hmm. and the fact that she was doing it for mental health purposes and the physical attributes were just a sort of byproduct I realised this is a powerful message that we can share with our community and people think of meditation as sitting in a room with your legs crossed with some candles burning or some incense or whatever it is and it's a bit of a hippie pursuit but when you read about what meditation is right it's like you know quite a singular pursuit of clearing your mind and concentrating on only one thing and concentrating on your breath and all that kind of stuff a lot of that stuff translates over into training right you can't look at your phone you concentrate on one thing you concentrate on your breathing you're trying to forget other things for a lot of people training whether it's going to the gym and boxing whether it's lifting weights is their version of meditation so um i think we wanted to show our community that to sort of demystify it and show you know it's not all about it's not all about broccoli and chicken and it's not all about lifting huge heavy weights for some people this is meditation and this is how they just be a better version of themselves tomorrow and clear their head a little bit so yeah like i said when our community said it was important to them then it became important to us yeah and i think you know this past year with everything that's gone on around the world Mm -hmm. it really has shifted from people are maybe not working out you know to look good you know not seeing anyone at the moment to it's all about mental health Mm -hmm. it's been able to put your head down do that meditation that you're talking about so it's more important um this, this is exactly why we did that nhs sweaty self i think you might have seen as well right like at the start of lockdown we knew, we, we knew we wanted to give something back and help because the nhs are heroes and should be sort of considered as such and we wanted to make a donation or do something now the easiest thing in the world would have been to just write out a check right get some money out the war chest and go there you go nhs this is from gymshark and whoop de do but we always say how do we gymshark this well we use gymshark as a verb like, how do we do it our way so the 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 mechanic that we came up with was we put it in the hands of the community and we said if you get out there get a sweat on in your garden go for a walk do some star jumps do some baked bean bicep curls whatever else it was in lockdown and then upload a sweaty selfie and hashtag NHS sweaty selfie we'll donate five pounds to the NHS on your behalf so it's up to you guys how much money we donate to the NHS so there we pulled off two things, right? We still pulled off the donation. It was like circa £200,000, which we ended up downloading, with, with, uh, donating, not downloading, which was great. But then also, we knew that people at home in lockdown would have been frustrated, sitting on the sofa, you know, Netflix, snacks in the fridge, mm. all that kind of stuff, and just heading into a darker and darker hole every day, inadvertently, and not even realising maybe they were doing so. And we thought, maybe if we can just get somebody in the garden or get somebody doing something, we can show them that actually you'll feel great after it. And that might kick off a a, a pattern of, you know, training through lockdown and stuff like that and yeah when, when you start seeing all these people you know pouring in through the through the hashtag going out and doing their little bit in the garden they're getting healthier they don't even realize it but they're improving their mental health and we're donating to the nhs as well then it's a, it's you know it's a beautiful combination yeah. of all those incredible things. initiative um and gymshark does so many you know deload um sweaty selfie i just wanted to touch on gymshark 66 because i think it's such an incredible initiative that you do and mm-hmm. you've been doing it now for Four years, Four maybe. years. Yeah. You know, I've, I've watched some of the videos when you tell people that they've won. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about? And uh, I've seen it, you're taking part in it. Yeah. At the moment. But no, no, not right now. Normally no. now, a lockdown killed it for me, but I'm, a little bit. I feel like I have to, right? Because you have to practice what you yeah. preach, but I'm certainly not taking it as hard as I was last year. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting in front of you as fluffy as I am right now. But anyway, um, Gymshark 66. So one of the one of the OOG members of the Gymshark team, Ollie, read this thing about how it takes 66 days to change your life right so the 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 study that we read at the time was um was the fact that if you want something to become a habit i.e something you do every day without thinking 
do it for 66 days consciously. And after that, you won't have to try anymore. You'll be able to do it unconsciously every day, right? So whether it was going for a run, having a cold shower, whatever else it was. But so we use that and we said, right, 66 days to change your life. So we challenge the Gymshark community, do something for 66 days that will improve your life, you know, sort of after that, after that point. Um, and document your progress on Instagram stories. And then we, in, back in the day, it was in Will Pick. I think it was one male and one female winner. Now we've changed that a little bit. There's different ways you can win and there's all sorts of different prizes. But you essentially got treated then like a Gymshark athlete for a year, right? You got all the same clothes that the athletes get. Um, You got invited out to pop-up stores, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, my favourite time of the Gymshark, my favourite moment in the Gymshark calendar every year is when we get to call them and tell them that they've won. I'm extremely privileged to be the person generally who does call them. And that was... That, that wasn't by design. That was just when the first one finished, we were in the office and we were like, oh, we've picked the winner. And I was just saying on my laptop, I went, should we call them? And we were like, yeah, okay, cool. So we were in this tiny little office when we were like a scrappy little startup. And I just walked around the building, which was really, really small at the time. There's like probably 40, 50 staff. I'm like, guys, we're going to ring the winner of 66. And I felt like Peter Pan because I was walking towards the, uh, is it Peter Pan? No, Pied Piper. Oh, terrible reference. I'm walking towards the boardroom to call this person, Sade, who'd won. And Everybody started finance, products, brand. Everyone started following yeah. along. And we all gathered around in the boardroom and I, I called them. And I called her Said when she got on the call. I was like, hi, Said. And she was like, oh, it's Sade. And I was so embarrassed. But anyway, Sade won. She was our first winner. Um, she went from... We, the reason we were so proud of her was the fact that when she started her 66 journey, she was embarrassed to go to the gym. She was uh, She was a bit of a bigger girl and she said she was really self-conscious about going and training right she thought people would laugh at her and think why is she in here and so on and so forth um but by the end of it she's a sinner super sassy doing all the you know the doing the different the copying the poses you know what i'm saying selfies in the mirror in the gym so to go from scared to be in the gym to doing the twisting up your back pushing your glutes out and taking selfies <laughs> the in the gym mirror in the, gym, the gym sharp pose if you want to call it that like that's a huge difference right in your life and in our happiness and all that kind of stuff so that's why Shade won that year and we've had a whole host of like incredible winners since then but yeah that moment where we call them and you would have seen the clips from like the cinema before where in in gshq when they come up on the screen and then there's 300 Gymshark staff there applauding them do you know what I mean and they get told that they've won 66 it's such an amazing moment but again it's always that thing of because we're such a value driven brand it's a great brand awareness campaign people see it you know from all across the world they see their friends taking part in it and they say what the hell is Gymshark and what's Gymshark 66 it's a great way to raise awareness but then again it also has this sort of like double meaning the other side is even if you don't win, if you're one of, you know, thousands of people get involved, even if you don't become the Gymshark athlete or the, you know, the would-be Gymshark athlete at the end, you spent 66 days doing something that's made you a better version of yourself and now it's going to become a habit. So even though you didn't win, you still won. Does that make sense? Yeah, so everybody wins. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at the way we do things, there's always like this double meaning. There's the commercial thing because, you know, we have to keep the lights on and pay the bills. So we have to do brand awareness campaigns like anybody. But then there's always a, how are we also helping the community with this thing? And that's what we sort of always strive to do, to be able to sort of play both of those parts, if you like, do right by our people and then obviously do right by the business as well. It's amazing. And and your initiatives that you do, I personally feel are very different to what a lot, what a lot of other brands do. And Gymshark's mm-hmm. communications, their marketing, their brand strategy has always been very non-traditional. Mm-hmm. And I think at the start, that was almost um, a complete coincidence. It was the boys just doing what they knew to do. So now you've got to this point, you know, you're a billion pound business. You've got hundreds and hundreds of staff and a fleet of um, influencing athletes. Do you see this changing now for you? No. 
No. No. See that? <laughs> that's I didn't, a very clear very answer. answer. We can just stop that there. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, to be honest, that's the hard part, right? So, plenty of businesses have had scrappy startups with wild ideas, right? But then there's that moment of can they maintain that when they become a big business, right? The other thing that the other thing that's happened is plenty of scrappy startups have also crashed and burnt because they could never turn into the big business. The really, really hard. The really, really hard task here is becoming the big business and professionalizing the way we need to, but also holding on to that scrappy startup mentality, right? That respect for risk-taking, the respect for agility, and the understanding that if we're really going to change the world with this brand, we can't play the game the same way everybody else has, do you know what I mean? And we need to do things differently. And then from like a practical point of view, like you said, it's worked this far, so why would we stop now? There's a real tendency for big businesses to go, right, we're a big business now, let's start acting like a big business, right? Uh, the agenda today, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to do this and da-da-da-da and here's our yeah. new business plan and and to really try and just just act like everybody else they've seen operate at that level. But from friends we have who've you know started disruptive businesses like um, some creative agencies or like Shopify, for example, generally the way they've become the unicorn and I don't mean unicorn in the in the, the commercial sense I just mean you know very unique business the way they've become the unicorn that they've become is by sort of throwing out the rule book and doing it their own way so I don't see us changing that anytime soon in fact a lot of our initiatives at the minute at the minute are us sort of taking a look at ourselves in the mirror and saying are we getting a little bit old are we getting a little bit out of date are we getting a bit sort of bureaucratic maybe we need to do you know what I mean sort of lean back into the ways of some of our sort of teenage years and stuff like that yeah. so no is the answer Clear answer. Um, so talking about, you know, you're thinking oh, we've got to stay cool. Are we going into too much of a commercial business? Mm -hmm. How does that affect your company culture? Because we've walked where we're here actually today in the Gymshark uh, podcast studio and walk around the office. They're huge. There's loads of staff mm -hmm. not here at the moment because of COVID. Um, but how has it changed the culture from when you were, you know, in a 30 man office to now it's hundreds of people? Has it remained? Is it hard? That's a really, really good question. And I feel like it's also a difficult one to answer because I don't feel like it has changed that much. Like, I suppose there was a point where you could know everybody's name in the company, every yeah. single individual's name in the company, right? Whereas right now, I'm embarrassed to admit, I couldn't even name every single person in the brand team, right? Um, but it's because it's such a huge team and it's that's true of loads of teams around Gymshark now. Um, so, yes, some of that, like, real, real, genuine truly close connections to every single person we don't have but still I think that's impossible at this sort of scale do you know what I mean but outside of that I hear stories that I wouldn't divulge on the podcast every single day that make me so proud of what we're achieving and what our culture has enabled us to do and the way we support our staff in you know some dark personal moments and stuff like that which which when I when I when I think about those stories then I don't think the culture has changed at all we still look after people in the same way that we would if they were one in 30 do you know what I mean and now we're now they're one in 600 across four different continents yeah it's all it's the affinity with the brand story as well isn't it that everybody it. Yeah. has that connection to and, and that's that's the mold that holds everybody the glue not the mold yeah, that holds sure. everybody together I saw somebody wrote on LinkedIn recently somebody tagged I think it was me and Ben in a thing and they put if these boys ever sell their book on employee evangelism, I'll be the first one to buy it because I don't know how they do it because they always see people, you know, i got my dream job at Gymshark yeah. and whatever else. And I was sat there thinking about it, thinking, wow, that's, that's an interesting observation and I wonder why he's sort of treating us with that much reverence. And I thought about it and I thought, it is that, it's just the shared vision. We, we don't have this incredible employer brand strategy and how can we make people super, super proud to work here? What we'll do is step one, we'll do this. Step two, we'll do this. There's, there's none of that. It's just a general attitude of, well, what would, 
if they're good people and we're good people, what's the obvious decision? And generally you find these answers do come to you very, very easily. And like you say, the way we treat them in those moments where the way we turn up for them when they need us, combine that with, like you said, the 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 affinity to the story and this combined North Star that everybody has. I think that's the that's the winning formula. So yeah, if you find if 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 you're a business owner that finds you you want to try and emulate some of that employee evangelism. Maybe that's the way. Maybe share your story, share your ambition, and yeah. make sure that your story and your North Star is shared across absolutely everybody within the org. That's a great point. Um, so you know, J Public Relations is a PR travel agency, mm-hmm. and we're w- working with hotels across the world, all different continents, all different types of cultures. And I know Gymshark, in that sense, has um, an audience spanning across the whole world. So, from a communications perspective, how do you target that? Do you target different cultures? Because it must be a, a difficult world to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you approach that from a brand perspective? I think we're heavily influenced by US culture, right? But mm-hmm. I think that's because um, US culture also heavily influences global culture. Do you know what I mean? Like, like when 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 Jada Smith said she'd been in an entanglement, everybody laughed, right? No matter what language you spoke or what country you were in, and everybody understood <laughs> those memes. Do you know what I mean? US culture through osmosis just permeates through everything else. So I think it's kind of become like the internet culture as yeah. opposed to I think cultures are breaking down between like languages and borders mm. and you're getting like the the language of the internet if you Lines like. Lines are blurring. Yeah, hundred percent. Um so I think we lean in to that. Yeah, there are, you know, subtle nuances, influ- you know, German German speaking influencers, French speaking influencers, so on and so forth. And we do we do regionalise to a certain extent, but up to this point in the Jim Shark story, it has been a very global, almost one size fits all approach. Now, that's not to say that will remain. In fact, also been in the Denver office very recently, talks to the fact we we're taking a more US specific approach right so it's talking like collegiate sports and stuff like that yeah. which you and me as Brits would have no idea about right and the impact that has over there but equally as the Denver office opens it also leaves all the people in this building and in GSHQ to concentrate more on the European markets right and to, to get some more dirt under their fingernails when it comes to Germany and the Nordics and France and so on and so forth because there are there are subtle nuances but yeah in general up to this point in the gym chart story it's been a very very global approach Talking of global and travel, going to bring up a kind of dirty word here, which is COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just wanted to touch because I know... You're very good at this, aren't you? <laughs> You're very I try. Good at this podcast game. <laughs> Go on, carry on. So I think what I wanted to bring up is having been a pop-up myself, yeah. I watch all the events, I see everything that's going on. You've got athletes in all different countries. Mm-hmm. How has that side of things, I don't mean the monetary side and your sales, purely that side of things been affected and how... Do you see yourself now um, pivoting? I've seen, you've obviously pivoted over the last year, but how are you going to continue to pivot? I I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if I consider what we're about to do as pivoting. Mm-hmm. I think. I think what we're good at is we're very good when the goalposts move, because a lot of businesses out there are very, very used to doing things in the way they've always done them and that's always worked so we'll keep doing them this way and it will keep working right and I think it's very very easy to fall into that trap I think I said on a I said on a 
video recently with Harley Finkelstein, who's at the president of Shopify. I said, I am genuinely more concerned about the next 19-year-old kid in the garage, like Ben was, than I am about Nike, Adidas, or Lululemon, right? Because I know how those guys play the game. Um, What I'm worried about is what's in the blind spot. We spotted influencers before they did, right? We understood the power of TikTok before they did. What's the next thing that we're not spotting yet that that 19-year-old kid in the garage has spotted? And is it already making moves on? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And just adding to this that uh, Gymshark have more TikTok followers than any of the big uh, gymwear brands right now. Yeah, that's true. I'll plug that for you. Uh, (laughs) Thanks. Um, So... I don't know if what I don't know if it would be considered pivoting. I think we pivoted at the start of lockdown because the game changed overnight. Right now, I see a sort of slow return back to the new normal. Mm. So I think what we're doing right now, not pivoting, is spotting, right, amidst all this chaos and the rules are now changing, but things are settling down, what's the new normal going to look like? And where's the opportunity here? Do you know what I mean? Um, There's a few underway at the minute, which I can't talk about for obvious reasons, but things that I know a lot of other businesses are sort of uh, shying away from, that we're actually saying, well, in fact, if everybody else is running away from that, let's just lean in a little bit more and see if there's something to be done there. Do you know what I mean? And I think we're good at keeping our calm when when you know a lot of other people are sort of losing yeah. theirs and spotting the wood for the trees and realizing where the opportunity is amongst all this chaos so that's more what we're doing at the minute i'd call it more like innovative efficiencies rather than pivoting <laughs> i'll stop using pivoting now as i feel like we've spoken a ton about gymshark here and had some fantastic answers from you but i want to talk about you personally mm-hmm. um oh, no. i've heard you've got a nickname a nickname? Yeah, I've heard you've got a nickname. Oh, no, this is bad. This is what are you going to say? So, Noel is referenced to at Gymshark as uh, Freddie Mercury. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was Steve Hewitt, that was. So, where does that come from, Noel? The first time Steve said that was during the, was during, Steve Hewitt's our CEO. The first time Steve said that was in, when we were going through the deal, right, which is all very proper and it's investment and it's big money and everybody's, you know, acting very prim and proper in the room. And he just came out of nowhere. We're on this call with our, you know, some potential uh, investors and Steve's interviewing people and this is Ben and this is... And this is Noel. If Jim Sharp was a rock band, he'd be our Freddie Mercury, right? Like the, <laughs> the front man. And like, I saw Ben's eyes rolling and Niran's eyes rolling. Like, oh my God, thinking that that's going to go to Noel's head for sure. But I think he means because because obviously leading the brand function and we're sort of the voice and the front end and the whatever else of the business and I lead that function. That's where the Freddie Mercury thing came from. And then when we did sign the deal with General Atlantic and we got it over the line, they did this like, um, sorry, PwC, who helped us with the deal, did this like caricature. They had an artist draw this thing of of like a the physical uh, realisation of the deal. And in that, it's got me holding half a microphone stand with the yellow jacket on and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Freddie Mercury. Oh, there you go. I had to bring that one up there. Um, So we've spoken about men mental health at Gymshark and I know you know your perception of it has obviously changed along with um the brand but mm-hmm. how, how have you dealt with it since you've been here is it something you've approached more did you gym before you came to Gymshark mm-hmm. or has this been a whole new experience for you so the mental well? health thing I never really so a great example of this was when we did the Covent Garden store like actual retail store which was like a tester just pre-covid I was on the way down for the opening night and we had like grime artists performing and stuff like that and there was a panel talk on um, on mental health and stuff which is going to be really exciting loads of activations and Steph O'Neill our head of PR called me and I was on the train on the way down to London and she was like oh 
Francis it on the mental health panel? And I was like, what? Why? And she said, we've kind of realised we don't have anybody from Gymshark. We've got loads of great guests, but there's no Gymshark people. And she's like, you're on the way here anyway. Do you want to just do it? And I was a little bit sort of, I was like acutely embarrassed because I was like, Steph, I've never really dealt with any sort of mental health stuff. And she was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine, whatever. So I ended up doing it and I listened to all these great stories from these guys. And as I was listening to them talk, I thought, have I not dealt with any mental health problems or have I not been brave enough to admit to myself that I've had mental health problems yeah. and I've, I've, you know, stiff up a lip, pull your socks up, son, crack on. Do you know what I mean? And honestly, I'm still figuring that out. I'm not quite sure. My default is, now I've never really suffered with mental health, but what the, the more I understand about it, the more I hear people talk about it, the more I sort of, yeah, just better my understanding. I think maybe I have and I just haven't been brave enough to admit to myself that I have. Do you know what I mean? Um, in reference to the gym thing, no, I was never really a, I, I loved boxing, MMA, all that. And I was never really a lifter, lifter. In fact, I'm still not. I'm definitely still not. Um, but I definitely appreciate strength and conditioning a lot more since being at Gymshark and how pivot, how pivotal it is to my ability to deal with other problems. So like right now, I'm just barely training because working from home, everything, like just days have been long. I've been working till like 9 and 10 p.m. And I'm just, the first thing to go out the window when I'm busy is training. And I go, okay, forget that. I'm just going to crack on and get these emails done or these Slack messages or this meeting or whatever else it might be. And that only ever lasts for like three days. And if I haven't trained for like three days, I'm like, oh God, I'm operating at like 50%. Do you know what I mean? And I'll go and I'll train and I'll eat properly and I'll oxygen out my lungs and I'll go for a run. And the next day at work, I smash everything out of the park and I'm operating 10 times better than I was just before. So, it peaks and troughs. I would love to say I'm this super consistent guy and I'm, you know, I'm up at 5am every morning, you know, typical motivational bullshit. Yes, you're honest. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely not. I, I, I'm I, fitness, I'm, on, I'm either on or off. When I've done 66 in previous years, over the 66 days, I've like really turned it up. I've got down to like record low weight. I've competed in jiu-jitsu tournaments and stuff like that. And I've got really, really fit. And then work's got busy and then I've got really, really unfit for like weeks. Do you know what I mean? So it comes and goes with me. But um, yeah, I'm working on getting that consistency. So when you get to the end of a holiday, usually you do a peak and a pit. So I want to hear your peak and your pit of your time at Gymshark. Break that down, peak and pit. Peak and pit, so it's like a high and a low. What's been the highest of highs and the lowest of lows during your time at Gymshark? Damn. Um, I'll tell you a day when I was, I don't know if this is the lowest of my low, but I'll tell you a day I was heartbroken was when we did the... We did the Toronto pop-up store. I didn't go to it, right? Uh, Mitch, who's in, in, in my team, in the brand team, is the IRL director, and he runs those events. He was there. Ben had gone out there as well. And because of time difference, I was going to bed when the store was opening, right? So I was like, gone to bed. The guys are texting me with little updates on how it was going. Yeah, best of luck, boys. I'll speak to you in the morning when I wake up. Wake up at sort of, it's like a Saturday, like 6 or 7 a.m., whatever it is. And again, I'm usually at that point doing my Twitter scroll, like I told you about. And I've got texts from Ben and Mitch like, this is going badly. This is going really bad. And I was like, oh no, why? What's going on? And basically, we drastically underestimated how popular we were in Canada. And we'd had a store, you know, that was X size. And the turnout we had was unbelievable. And it was cold. So you'd had people, there was one girl in particular, I found her on Twitter. Um, she'd flown from Texas to Toronto, five hour flight. She then stood in a line for nine hours not got into the store, her check-in time was approaching for a flight home and she'd had to leave, go back to the airport, fly five hours back to Texas, right? Now, the way I found her, again, was going back to my Twitter trick at the start where she tweeted. Now, she was obviously, to fly five hours to a Gymshark, I was like, you're a big Gymshark fan, yeah, right? Huge. She'd taken the at away. She wasn't atting us. She was saying, so disappointed. I flew from Texas to the Gymshark, no at, pop-up store, um, stood online for nine hours, didn't get in, flew home, 
can't believe it's so annoyed with us. And it was cold. I mean, it wasn't just nine hours standing in line. It was nine hours standing in line, cold Canada, everyone big jackets on, all the rest of it. And yeah, we let we let our community down that day for sure. Um, so that was a, that was definitely a low point. And I was straight away, obviously, we're now in a point where the guys are going to bed uh, and the day had finished in Toronto. And I'm on Twitter reaching out to people. I'm so sorry this happened. This wasn't our intention, so on and so forth. Um, now super proud to say that, so, so that girl, I then... Invited her to come down to the Manchester pop-up store in the UK. She came. I met her at the front of the queue she on the flew morning of. from the US yeah, yeah. to the UK. Bought her in before the store opened. Took her back to the, like, the green room. We hung out with all the athletes. She got to meet everyone, hanging out like an athlete. She had like the equivalent, whatever passes we had on the day, all access, staff pass, whatever it was. She had that. So she had like unfiltered access to everyone. I gave her free product, all that kind of stuff. Then she hears that we're opening our office in Denver. She moves to Denver on the off chance that she might be able to get a job. She now works in wow. GSDMV, our Denver office, which is really what cool. What a story. Yeah, so so that was a, that's kind of a low, low, a, a, what do you call it, peak and a pit in yeah, one, Yeah, peak really, and a pit in one. Which is really cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I, always, always gutted whenever we let our community down, especially when they, especially when we let them down because they supported us so much mm. and their support almost overwhelmed us. Do you know what I mean? Now, I like to think that when that does happen, it's happened before on like Black Friday events, right? You might have seen when Ben's gone on his Instagram story yeah. and done like a personal apology to people. Generally, that happens. We let them down because we didn't anticipate how much they bought into us and how much they supported and loved us. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it happens online during Black Friday. It's happened at events. And I'm always, always gutted that people were dying to support us and we we let them down. So that was that was always be a pit. Um, and then, yeah, peak moments. I think there's, there's so many of them. And honestly, <laughs> arguably my favourite Gymshark gesture initiative moment that we've ever had I would never, ever talk about to the public, to anybody mm. outside of Gymshark, because it meant so much to the individual, and I would never, ever want it to be cons- like perceived as a marketing as effort, because it wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, we could do something really, really wonderful for this person and these people, so let's do it, and let's, let's. I, I, I never want to see this out there in the world, because the second it's out there in the world, it's seen as like a marketing effort, mm. and people could say, oh, they're doing that for PR or whatever else, when we never were, we were just doing it because it fit in so well with our values, so yeah, I can't tell you about that one, I'm afraid, but I, I did you an exclusive that, earlier. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I've absolutely loved talking to you, Noel, I feel like we've covered so many points, but um, J Public Relations is doing a rebranding currently launching, um, might be when this podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. And one of our taglines is going to be, how do you own your story? So for our clients, how how do they really own what they're putting out there? It's something I think Gymshark does so well, which is why we wanted to bring you on the podcast today. So what what would you say your top tips are for brands, big or small, who want to really own their story? I've got a quote for you. I'm going to pull it right. up. I've got my laptop Bringing in front of me, which here. I'm going to read. I, want, I don't. I want to do it. I want to do it justice. But it was the same thing I said to you earlier that branding isn't something you can buy or tell, right? So, here, here's the official quote: Branding reflects the sum total of every organisational action set against the backdrop of culture, all of which reveals the true character of a company. So, if you want to own your story, you have to live it in everything, right? And I mean everything because consumers these days want receipts as well. They're looking to your tax history, right? They're looking to who's in your org. They're looking to everything. And if you're telling some wonderful story about your values on the About Us page of your website, but you're not living it, trust me, you will get called out like that, right? So the tagline to help you remember it is, don't just laminate your values, live them. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's how you really own your story. Yeah, I love that. I love the quote. So thanks so much, Noel. Thanks for having me. Love speaking to you. And I'm sorry for telling everybody your nickname. (laughs) No problem. Thanks. Thanks, Georgia. Thank you.